Welcome to The Week Ahead in Russia, a Radio Free Europe podcast on developments in Russia, its war against Ukraine, and its relations with the rest of the world. I'm Steve Gutterman, editor for Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus in the Central Newsroom at RFERL and author of The Week in Russia newsletter. This week's podcast is about Russia's war against Ukraine, as it often is, with a focus in part on the question of Western aid for Kyiv and also Western policy, what the West and in particular the European Union can do or must do uh, to help Ukraine fight off the full-scale Russian invasion as it heads toward a third year with no sign of an end anytime soon. And my guest today is on the week ahead in Russia is Marie Dumoulin, director of the Wider Europe program at the European Council on Foreign Relations. Thanks very much for joining me, Marie. Thank you for having me. All right. uh, Great to have you on the show. First time guest. uh, Much appreciated. Um, We're now uh, three weeks into 2024. Uh, And in just over one month, Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine will enter its third year. And while I don't think there are many people uh, in this world who believe the war will end this year, it does seem like what happens in 2024 could go a long way toward determining the outcome of the biggest war in Europe since 1945. Now, one big factor, of course, um, is Western aid, including financial aid and, most important, uh, weapons. The fate of future U.S. aid uh, remains unknown three months after President Joe Biden proposed a package that includes more than $61 billion in mostly military support for Ukraine. Uh, about $50 billion, uh, of it is for weapons. And that package so far is stymied in Congress. Uh, but I'd like to focus today um, on another $50 billion, the proposed $50 billion euro package that Hungary blocked last month in the European Union. Marie, how important is that package for Ukraine? And what do you think uh, are the prospects for its approval? I'm interested uh, in your thoughts. So the package is more about macrofinancial assistance and humanitarian assistance to Ukraine than about military assistance, strictly speaking. Um, it is important because that money is supposed to help Ukraine, the Ukrainian state, to continue to function despite the war. Um, and to continue to pay salaries, etc. Um, and the other important element is that it's a four years package. So it's supposed also to give Ukraine visibility on um, the money it will be able to rely on for the next four years. Um, and that's one of the aspects that Hungary has been uh, questioning. Um, Viktor Orban says he may be um, ready to agree to this package provided um, it is divided in four parts and um, subject to approval every year um, in the coming next four years, which, of course, would reduce the visibility Ukraine can uh, can have on this um, assistance. Um, the other element Viktor Orban puts forward is... Um, has to do with EU funding for Hungary um, and so has nothing to do basically with Ukraine. Um, 
this discussion on the support package to Ukraine is basically um, interrelated to discussions on EU budget itself. Um, and Hungary can now uh, rely also on the support of another EU member state. Slovakia has a couple of days ago signaled that it agreed to um, some of Hungary's positions. Um, so it will not be an easy discussion. Um, the head of the EU Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, has signaled a few days ago that the Commission is also working on alternative scenarios if an agreement was not possible with the 27 EU member states uh, to make the agreement possible with a more limited number of member states. But of course, the better scenario is that um, EU member states and all of them uh, agree to this package. Also because in terms of political signaling, um, it's better for EU member states to display unity than disunity. Um, and that's one of the things that they had been able to display since um, the beginning of the Russian invasion, that they share common goals and a common understanding of this war. Um, if they begin to show disunity, that would probably play into um, the Russian narrative um, that ultimately the Western unity and the European unity on this war is going to erode and more generally that Western support to Ukraine is going to erode. Right, and that's um, exactly what what uh, you know many, many people believe is, is Putin's kind of uh, best hope. I guess a while ago it was kind of described as his last hope, the idea that... Um, that Western unity uh, would flag and and with it um, supplies of of aid and and in particular weapons and I guess I just wanted to ask a follow up question. Um, your kind of your description of of the situation with Hungary reminded me a little bit of of the situation in the United States where you have discussions essentially agreement on on this um, sixty one billion dollar uh, aid package or part of it is contingent on an agreement um, in Congress, between Congress and the, and the administration, on um, on uh, reform uh, changes along the U.S. southern border, the border with Mexico, uh, you know, so, so two things that are, that are very much unrelated. Um, but uh, my question is, um, do you, in terms of there's there's a chance as as the as the congress deliberates on this um you know there's there's no real timeline from we don't know when it, when it might be approved if if it is approved um but do you think the the us uh deliberations have any kind of effect on on those in in the eu about about this about this package um i'm not sure they have. Um, and if they do, then it would rather play into more decisive action by by EU member states. Um, because the Russian invasion of Ukraine is probably more vital to European security um, than it is to US security, although it I would argue that it is also um, a vital interest um, for Euro US security interests. Um, 
but uh, because it is vital, a number of EU member states also sees a challenge of being able to sustain um, the support to Ukraine, whatever comes next in the US. Um, so in terms of agenda, um, I don't think it will have a, a big impact uh, because the decision is supposed to be made next week at the European Council on the 1st of February. Um, whether the um, hesitations, let's put it that way, on the US side um, have an impact on the longer term on how Europeans see the potential developments in this war and whether there is any chance to prevail for Ukraine um, is probably um, a different question. Mm -hmm. um, there is a risk of a self-fulfilling effect um, with Europeans beginning to doubt that um, they will be able to sustain that effort um, over the long run if the US is not on board um, and thus are tempted to reduce their support to Ukraine uh, because anyway it will not prevail. Um, that would be very dangerous. Uh, and again, um, I think a lot of European leaders are aware of the vital nature of this conflict for European security um, and are willing to um, continue the support, whatever it takes. Um, but definitely there are concerns regarding the future um, of US assistance. Okay, thanks very much. Um... And now, my, my second question is broader, but uh, it also involves European support for Ukraine. Um, Marie, how do you see EU support uh, shaping up uh, in 2024? I guess I mean in terms of financial and, and, and weapons support, among other things. Is this year going to be marked by an increase or a decrease in EU backing for Kiev, or maybe it will remain the same? Um, and from your point of view, uh, what is the most important element? Sorry, there are a few questions here, I guess. But uh, from your point of view, what is the most important element of EU support? Um, and essentially, what does the European Union need to do this year when it comes to defending Ukraine against Russia? So there are a couple of uncertainties regarding um, EU assistance to Ukraine and whether it will increase or decrease. Um, the first one is a political one. Um, there will be elections in several EU member states um, this year. There will also be elections to the European Parliament. Um, and so depending on the outcome of these elections, um, basically um, the forces that will be dominant at the European Parliament and in national governments uh, may have a different understanding of what needs to be done for Ukraine. Um, we have seen Slovakia changing government and changing its stance on Ukraine. That may happen in other EU member states um, in the coming months. The second uncertainty has to do with um, internal EU debates regarding um, the financial instruments to support Ukraine. So we mentioned the 50 billion package, but there is an another discussion going on regarding the European Peace Facility, um, which has been the main vehicle uh, for the EU to 
um, finance bilateral military assistance provided by EU member states to Ukraine. Um, Germany is quite critical of the way this has functioned so far and um, would like uh, a clarification of the rules um, regarding the European Peace Facility and it would also like other EU member states to provide more military assistance bilaterally. Germany is one of the main providers of military assistance and has um, a considerable budget for that. Um, other EU member states have been doing less. Um, and so Germany says uh, it's okay to um, increase funding through the European Peace Facility, but A, we need to clarify the rules, and B, we want our partners to do more um, bilaterally. Um, in terms of what EU member states would need to do this year, I think one of the very important signals they need to send um, both to Ukraine and to Russia is that they're in for the long game. Um, and that requires um, putting the resources on the table for uh, more than a couple of months. Uh, so the decision on the 50 billion package is important. But there needs to be to to be more, uh, as, and specifically on military assistance. Um, one of the key elements is increasing uh, the defense industrial cap capacities uh, and in increasing basically the output, um, the the industrial output of these industries. Um, that is the case for ammunition. There has been a plan by the EU collectively to increase ammunition productions. Um, the goal was to produce one million shells by March. It will probably um, not be achieved, but it will be achieved um, maybe a couple of months later. Um, ammunition is one thing and it's extremely important, uh, but of course, um, artillery and the whole range of um, of capacities that uh, that the Ukrainian army needs also require to step up the production. Um, and especially if there are doubts on uh, future U.S. military assistance, this increase in military industrial capacities is key for the Europeans to show that they will be able to continue to support Ukraine in the long run, as long as needed. All right. Thanks very much for that. Um, so you have more weapons um, uh, faster. I guess another question I'd like to follow up on with, with that is um, kind of the uh, you know, you, you mentioned uh, the idea that that Europe, the EU, needs to needs to show, um, uh, display clearly that it that it's uh, in it for the long haul. Um, but there's also a question going around, or or comments going around, um, in particular recently about the West. Uh, you know, whether there's a need for the West to kind of say what is what a win for Ukraine would be, or, or say what what the goal is uh, in the end. Now, of course, um, Ukraine's goal is to um, is to drive Russian forces out of Ukraine. 
um, which obviously includes uh, Ukraine's borders, so that includes Crimea uh, and all of the Donbass and, and, and the other two, two regions where um, Russia now has, or actually three, because I guess it has some forces in the Kharkiv region, uh, regions where, where Russia now has forces and has occupied territory. So I guess my question is, what do you think about that? Is, is there a, um, a need for kind of a determination like uh, in the West and in the EU of, of what constitutes uh, you know, victory um, for, for Ukraine? What would be enough? Um, it's probably needed not so much for Ukraine itself, uh, but for our own public uh, to explain why uh, the continued support to Ukraine is in, um, in the West's interests. Um, it's probably also needed vis-a-vis Russia, again, to signal that uh, we're not going to let Ukraine down. Um, up until now, the, um, the dominant um, narrative has been that the West will support Ukraine for as long as it takes. Um, but as long as it takes for what exactly is never uh, really um, specified. Mm-hmm. Ukraine, of course, um, wants to regain control of whole of its territory, um, but we we basically don't know um, whether it will be possible and at what point Ukraine um, will think, okay, we have achieved enough to now enter a negotiation if that time comes. Um, Maybe an important thing in that regard for Western countries would be to think of um, what happens um, if Ukraine doesn't prevail and what it entails in terms of um, broader European security and international order. Um, and one key element in that regard uh, would probably be that the use of force by um, a nuclear state against a non-nuclear state um, can lead to territorial gains without um, without further consequences. And I don't think that's something um, either the Europeans or the US, for that matter, are ready to accept, both because it's um, it questions the very principle of territorial integrity, which um, up until now had been rather, um, well, the international community had been able to preserve that principle as um, one key element of the international order if that would be questioned and if um, conquering your neighbor's territory without any um, real consequences uh, would would be le- seen as legit, um, that would have highly destabilizing consequences beyond Europe. And then there is the nuclear dimension, the fact that a nuclear state um, can attack its, its neighbor um, and deter action, um, retaliative action, um, that would also send the signal to a very large number of countries that the best insurance um, are nuclear weapons. And so in terms of nuclear proliferation, that is really not a signal that we want to send. 
So ultimately, um, I think that there is a good case to be made for Western countries that it's not just about Ukraine's borders, it's about the international order as we know it. And it is in our interest to make sure that this order um, is preserved um, as far as possible. All right. Thanks very much. That's a great point about um, about the, you know the need to 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 get across the idea of, of the enormity of what you know what, of the consequences if Ukraine does not does not prevail uh, if Russia prevails. Uh, so thanks very much for that. And um, I'm going to wrap it up here. Thank you uh, so much for joining me, Marie. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, Once again, I've been speaking to Marie Dumoulin, director of the Wider Europe Program at the European Council on Foreign Relations. And my name is Steve Gutterman, editor for Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus in the Central Newsroom at RFERL. This has been The Week Ahead in Russia. Our theme music is Nyestrelai, or Don't Shoot, a song from the early 1980s by Yuri Shevchuk and DDT. Please be sure to check out my newsletter, The Week in Russia, which covers the latest developments in Russian politics and society, as well as Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. Subscribe by visiting www.rferl.org.